Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Encounter Sounds podcast. This will be our first podcast for 2024, and we are starting with a bang because I have a dear friend. Uh, we are spending time together here at the end of the year uh, when we're recording this. It's a special weekend we have here at the Homestead Mobile. His family, he came here to visit and worship with us, and uh, I want to welcome my dear friend, Joe L. Barnes. Hey, How you doing, man? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, man. I'm really, really grateful. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm uh, so so excited for this. We we're just chatting a little bit, and conversation was so good. I'm like, we have yeah, to we stop. <laughs> we we need to stop, uh, otherwise we 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 lose all the amazing stories. But I'm so glad you took the time, man. It's oh, an man. honor for for me to have you here at my house. The privilege is mine, man. I'm honored, man. I'm grateful. Thank you for even inviting me into all of this, man. But, yeah, man. Yeah. That's what happens in family. You get around the table, you start talking. Yeah, you just, just nose die. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> And I, I have to tell you, I, I love uh, worshiping with you. We, we had a, a few opportunities to do it together. Mm -hmm. And, man, you fired me up. Oh, man. I'm like, I have no more notes here, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's great, man. It's great. It's just effortless. Like, I think like-minded people, like spirits, kindred spirits, like all the things, like, it's actually phenomenal to, like, worship together and just all the things. I don't know. It just feels natural i think in other spaces no shade to other spaces but in other spaces just it it doesn't feel the same this doesn't hit the same when you're around your family it's like the pressure to like have anything like all fades because it's like it f actually feels like the audience of one like it's not us leading worship to this group of people or to this like room of people it's like we all feel like one collective worship team and i think that that's why it all feels amazing like even last night 30 45 minutes of no singing at all just yeah. the instrumentation and we're in the thick of it man it's like it's unlike anything i've ever like seen or been a part of you know what i mean so i'm like this is phenomenal anyway yeah it's it's so special it's and for me that i played an instrument mm -hmm. right my previous experience is like you play a little bit here and there mm -hmm. if, if there's an opportunity mm -hmm. and it's not like embracing the instrumental. It's not an easy thing to do right? for, for most places, mm -hmm. you know. But the thing I like about the instrumental is, and, and I've said this before, I feel like when there's lyrics, mm -hmm. it almost like it locks you down mm -hmm. into a specific thought yes. of what the song says. And concept, yeah. Right? Yep. And when you're in the instrumental, it gives you more freedom to basically each person goes anywhere they want to go. Absolutely. Yeah, they can hear the whisper that God is like speaking to them individually. You know what I mean? Like, yes, there's songs that we sing in this congregation. On, and it's like you said, one thought, one concept that we're singing together. But when you just let music play, like God can say things and do things in moments that are more impactful than us singing about one concept for hours. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like God can do more in that moment. He can do more in that moment of just music and just ministering to people. And you know what I mean? Like you said, the concept is targeted. Exactly. But then that instrumentation, God can do so much and whisper so many things to so many people in that moment because they can meet God. He can meet them wherever they are. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I love that. But man, uh, really love to hear your story a little bit. Okay. I think it's uh, one thing that I like to, to do on this podcast okay. is to learn with people's process and experience. And I think you have so much. You're very young, but... 
I think you 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 have a lot to bring, a lot of wisdom, mm -hmm. and you've have experienced a lot even being uh, young. So it's it's love to hear where you came from, and yeah. we can kind of go from there. I wouldn't say that I have a lot of wisdom. I just hang around wise people. You know what I mean? I'm not very smart. I hang around smart people, and like I just kind of pick off of you know each of their trees. Yeah. No, but yeah. um, no, man, I'm. From a small town, Hopkinsville, Kentucky, like it's a small little town nobody really knows about. Grew up with my mom, my dad, dad being a uh, um, veteran soldier, like mom being a PK preacher's kid. Like she grew up with, she's the youngest of 10, I think. Wow. So she, uh, big family, big, big family. And um, between my parents, I'm the youngest of five, six between both of my parents and so I'm the youngest of six, but between all of that, like after that, it's around like 17 of us, like between like halves and steps and wow. God siblings and all the things. There's a lot of us, but no man, grew up in a really small town house was full of music when I was a kid. Uh, I remember growing up, um, me and my brother, we would be in our room and my brother Aaron's listening to hip hop, go to my sister's room. She's listening to anything like, pop or r&b like she was into like guy groups and boy bands and stuff so she was listening to like everything from b2k and um chris brown and like all of that and then my older brothers listening to usher and music soul child and cisco and drew hill my other brothers listening to the isley brothers and listening to like really like old school r&b my my dad is listening to some eclectic stuff he's listening to, like tracy chapman and hootie and the blowfish and he's listening to Boogie Down Productions and KRS-One and he's introducing us to some like Amy Winehouse like he wow. was like the out of the box kind what of a music mix. listener right a mixture and then my mom is listening to everything gospel Clark Sisters Yolanda Adams oh, Kirk Franklin Fred that. Hammond Israel Houghton anything anything that got to do with Jesus she's listening to that <laughs> and um the only thing outside of like the gospel realm was kind of like casting crowns like that was mm -hmm. my only grid for like CCM music when it came to like worship and stuff. So every Saturday music is all over the house. You know what I mean? Because we're cleaning the house and like, I grew up in a culture where we clean, we play a lot of like music on, cause we all had our own section. So like once somebody's responsible to clean the bathroom, somebody's cleaning their room, somebody's responsible to living room, the kitchen, the laundry room, the dining room. Like we all had our sections of the house that we were scheduled to clean. So whatever room you went into during that day, there was music in their room blasting because everybody's listening to their own vibe. So music has always been a part of my life. You know what I mean? And then my mom plays piano. My brother Tiago plays piano. My brother John, songwriter, sister Candice sings. So it's like music is kind of, you know, everywhere. Man, but, that's, that, that sounds, sounds fun and exciting. Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, man, absolutely. Everybody wanted to come to our house when I was a kid. Yeah. Like my mom, like it was a love-hate relationship about that because all our friends would come over on Friday nights and stay all the way to like Sunday night. And she was like, the only rule I have is if you stay in this house for the weekend, you going to church with us on Sunday. So you come over here on Friday night, Saturday night, if you want to, but Sunday morning, you get up and go to church, but she hated it sometimes. Cause <laughs> so she's like, I got to step over bodies every Saturday morning to get out of the door to go to work. Cause we're all scattered all over the house. So for her to get through the living room or her to get from the kitchen or whatever, it's literally, we all sleep in the morning. She's going to work at like 7 a.m. We all sleep because we've been up all night playing video games, eating all the snacks, all the things. So it was a very interesting time. Yeah. And and uh, any anybody else in your family still do music or you're the one that kind of. Um, 
No, like they love music. Like my brother John is still a songwriter. He's figuring it out, but like he's being a dad. He's being a husband. You yeah. know what I mean? He's not. He's trying to get back into music. So I'm like focusing on trying to like make opportunity if I can. But mm-hmm. no, I think I'm the only one that's like fully invested in music right now. I think they just love music, but they haven't like invested it because I think I don't want to say like our family was kind of like. Um, cursed when it came to that, but it, I will say like like I had cousins and siblings that wanted to do music and pursue music full time in their early years, but it just never seemed to work out. It never seemed to work. Um, my mom was always like, "You gonna sing for Jesus? If you ain't gonna sing for Jesus, it ain't gonna work." Like she, my my brothers wanted to do like mainstream music. They wanted mm-hmm. to do R and B and stuff like that. And my cousins, same thing. But where I'm from in Kentucky is very like legalistic very by mm. the book very like we gonna if it ain't for god it's it's for the devil and we're not doing yeah. that that's how they viewed it always I mean, that's how they viewed mainstream music versus christian music and it was always just that black and white cut and dry so they always would say like it ain't gonna work if it go, if it ain't for the mm. lord so like my siblings my cousins when they tried to pursue music it just never panned out so um and for a while i thought the same thing was gonna it was gonna be my story as well when i was a kid like I avoided LA for the longest because I was always told Los Angeles, that's the graveyard of dreams. You go there. <laughs> yeah. You, you might not make it. And I was like, well, if I stay away from there, I can keep my dreams alive a little longer. Let me just, let me wait for LA to call me mm-hmm. and then I'll go to LA until then I'll never see it. Cause I refuse to allow this thing so precious to me to die. You wow. know what I mean? So, but when I finally went, um, one of my mentors, one of my people, like um, Amanda Cook, she was like, most people come here expecting LA to give them something mm-hmm. instead of depositing something. And a lot of times they leave with disappointments. They come here with hearts full of hope and pockets full of dreams. And then they leave home. They leave and go back home with broken hearts and pockets full of disappointment because they came expecting to like get something instead of deposit something. Um She's like, it's not, that's not how LA works. You come here and you deposit something. That's when it gives you something back. It's literally the ultimate, like you sow something, mm-hmm. you reap something. She's like, but the things you're expecting LA to give you, they're already happening. She's like, look at your life. Like God is already opening doors and giving you opportunities. You don't need LA to do that for you. So now LA can be something actually very genuine and authentic. It could be a, a place you come to hang out with your friends. It could be a haven of hope. She's like, for me right now, it's a haven of healing. Like I've come here to get, like I can be me not me the world knows but Mm -hmm. i can just be me and i can just heal and i can relax and i can go to the beach and i can just listen to the whispers that god is giving off the waves of the ocean and i can just breathe i don't need it to like deposit something into me i can just literally be here and be and i'm like all my fears weren't there when Mm -hmm. i finally went but man that's awesome anyway i'm sorry i don't mean a monologue And 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 when do you think uh, you knew that music was the thing you, you wanted to do? Oh, I've known since I was a kid, man. Yeah. I've known since I was six. I knew my older brother, John, one of my biggest, like, inspirations as a songwriter. Like, he would go to the studio. I remember I'm, like, six years old. He would go to the studio and write songs and come back with, this is showing my age. He would come back with a burned CD of what he did in the studio that day. And he would put it into the CD player and he would play like, this is what I wrote today. Mm. And seeing the joy on his face from him creating something, I'm looking at him like, that's what I want to do. 
I'm convinced. I want to do music. I love hearing what he created. I'm like, I'm obsessed with the melodic choices he made. Mm -hmm. I'm obsessed with the lyrics he made. I didn't even understand lyrics mm -hmm. and songs, but I'm like, I'm obsessed. And then on my birthday, he bought me the Usher 8701 album. Mm. I had no business singing any of that music <laughs> at seven and six years old, but he bought me that album and I listened from top to bottom, forwards, backwards, sideways. And he saw like how obsessed I was with music. So then he bought the Confessions album after that. And we went through it together. Like He's like, all right, cool. We're about to listen to this from top to bottom together. And Confessions, all the things, we just walked, listened to it over and over and over. And then um, by the time I was 13, we had started like driving back and forth between Kentucky and Atlanta because I had cousins that live in Atlanta and they had studio there. So we would go back and forth. And on the way from Kentucky to Atlanta, we're in the car with a burned CD of instrumentals and we're writing songs the entire way. He's like, what do you think about this lyric? What do you think about this concept or this angle? Like, how do you feel about this? Like, do you think this is a better lyric or this is a better approach? And that's where the beginning stages of me learning songwriting and putting the pieces together like started. So by the time we got to Atlanta, that four hour drive, something like that, the CD was already full of like songs. So all he had to do when he went there is put the track on and sing the record, tweak here and there. And then after that, it's we leaving back with songs that we written on the way up. And wow. I was obsessed with the process. And I was, I was convinced. I, I tell this to people uh, from time to time. Like, I think every time, every day, everybody has this, we'll talk Joe. Everybody has these defining moments in life mm -hmm. where your life can take two different paths, mm -hmm. depending on the decision that you make right now. So it's seventh grade for me and I love basketball, mm -hmm. love basketball. And I had made the first round of tryouts for basketball for like my middle school basketball team. And they were like, if you make it past the first round, you're guaranteed a spot on the, on the, like, on the team. You just have to go to second round. Just, it's a preliminary thing. You just kind of have to be there. But if you make it past first round, you're good. You just got to go to the second round. And it was my first time actually making it past the first cut. And my one of my other brothers approached me and said, hey, I know you want to do that, but you can either go and do that second round or you can come with me to the studio. Hmm. What do you want to do? And I was like, Man, I'm going to the studio. Like, I, what? That's not even a question. And I missed the second round to go straight to the studio. Don't even like the song we created. Mm -hmm. Like, it's very whatever. But I think that that moment was one of the defining decisions for me because I could have easily played basketball yeah. all through my high school years or my middle school and high school years just making that one decision to go because I would have learned a lot. I would have learned a lot of different skill sets and whatever from basketball. But I'm like, I'd rather be in the studio. And I'm like, that kind of sent me down the initial course and trajectory of just being in love with music. It like defined in me like music is what I want to do the rest of my life. Basketball is cool. Yeah, I'd rather be in a studio. Yeah. Anyway. Man, I love that that thing about moments that define things. Mm -hmm. And I remember listening to uh, Jonathan Houser one time, mm -hmm. and how someone came to me to him and asked, "Hey, how can I write songs like you write?" Mm -hmm. And he's like. I'm not sure you want to write songs like I write mm -hmm. because you have to understand the stories behind yep. what happened yep. for that song to be birthed. Yep. So, and, and of course, there are different ways to write music. Of course. Uh, you know, you can sit down and you have an idea and put it down. But mm -hmm. I think some of the most powerful songs usually come from darkest, dark moments yep. or difficult moments. Yep. And I think you have something in your in your story that kind of, 
was a defining moment a little bit with your family, right? Yes. Your brother, is that something you're comfortable with yeah, sharing? Let's, yeah, let's, let's get into it. So um, there was about a, like I said, I was writing songs with my brother, 13. Um, I, my mom takes me on a cruise when I'm, when I'm about to turn 16. I'm like, no, I'm about to turn 17. I'm 16. I uh, go on a cruise. I meet this woman named Pam Morris. I'm singing on the on the cruise. It's a little, it's a Christian cruise, cruise with a cause. And I uh, start singing on the cruise. She's, uh, she owns a radio station in Orlando. We connect. She's like, when you get home, make a demo for me. I just want a demo of your music. And I'm going to try to help you like build your career. I'm like, cool. Say no more. I get home. Me and my brother, we try to sit, me and one of my older brothers, we try to sit down um, and create some music for the, like the demo. Mm-hmm. And during that season, it was a very hard time. Um, it was a lot of stuff. Like I was, I was, I'm not gonna say I was getting into a lot of trouble. I was getting into a little mm-hmm. bit of trouble, like fights at school, kind of just in and out of like trouble or whatever. Um, but my older brother, same thing. We would just get into all kind of shenanigans. But my mom comes home one day. My brother comes over. We're hanging out. All of a sudden, my mom's like, go check on your brother Aaron. I'm like, okay, cool. I'll go check on him. He's been in his room all day. You know what I mean? We played video games that day earlier, mm-hmm. whatever. And um, I go check on him. And when I opened the door, he had taken his life. Oh, my God. Yeah. So this is the part of the story that people don't really um, know about. So, like, what I thought was his door slamming was the sound of the gun going off. Oh, my God. Yeah. Right. So when I walk in the room and see, like, the scene, like, I'm a weepy mess. My older brother loses it, like, almost tries to beat a hole in the floor because he's losing it. My mom loses it. Before I know it, like, my whole entire, like, um, driveway and all the way up the street full of cars, all my people are just pulling up, and I'm just looking around, and I'm like, my eyes hurt because I've wept for hours and hours and hours. How old are we? I was 16. 16. Wow. So to back up a little bit, so 2009, my mom and my father get divorced. 2010, my mother has to have a surgery. She basically like loses so much blood, almost dies. And then 2011 is my brother like commits suicide. And it's just year after year, one thing after another. And I'm just like, Lord Jesus. And something interesting happened that day, though. Something very interesting happened. Like, I think a lot of times... This is another thing about defining moments. I think a lot of times um, you'll see where someone, what someone is made of in those mm-hmm. moments. You'll see like where people stand, even in their faith and even in their like trust in God um, in moments like that. Because I've seen people go through hard things and they're like, God, if you let this happen, I'll never trust you again. Mm-hmm. God, if you do this, I'll never forgive you. You know what I mean? Like I've yeah. seen people like in those moments. My mom did something very interesting though. She immediately begins to pray and runs to the Lord instead of running from him or blaming him for what happened. Mm-hmm. And I was shook because I was like, I've never seen that. Mm-hmm. I've never seen somebody run to him whenever something like this happens. I've always seen them blame him blame. for this. And that was the day I found out where my mother was anchored. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I found out that my mother's like faith and trust was anchored in God, even in the midst of like the reality of now you're going to have to outlive a son. Now you're having to probably 
bury your son. Like that's a different thing. Most people oh, yeah. want to blame God for that kind of thing. And she's like, no, God, I trust you to keep us, to help us, to guide us through this very interesting and very difficult time. So at, at, for me, I'm like, I knew about the Lord then, mm-hmm. but I didn't know him for myself. And I think that that was the moment I was like, God, I need to know who this Jesus guy is for real. Because if he can get her to do that in the face of this, he can carry us through anything. Yeah. So man. it's man, it's it's so powerful because every time I hear it, um, when you say like um, even in the death of my brother, miracles, yeah, miracles, miracles. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Uh, man, it's there's something that hits you. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Because behind that small phrase, mm-hmm. there's a story there's a life you know what i mean it is a there's life. a pain behind uh, one little phrase and yeah. and i think those defining moments when they come through music mm-hmm. they're very very powerful and, yeah uh, it's uh, you know appreciate you you being vulnerable and sharing yeah, that yeah. and 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 how that comes through your music is just amazing appreciate um it, how so now you know fast forward a little bit how how did your journey in into ministry and, and, and singing and your career started? Um, so what happened was I, uh, I did an album. So all of that happened 2011 and then 2012, 2013 goes by, I'm graduating high school. Um, we go back to the plan. I'm going to make a, a record to send off to this Pam Morris and the EP, like the demo EP turns into like, I'm going to create an entire project. So me and one of my older brothers, me and my brother, John, we write an album. We get it done. My mom finances the album. She funds it. We mm-hmm. get it done. We make it all a thing. We package it. 2014 comes around. I'm grad after I graduated, I move, I am working at the hospital. Some friends of mine have started traveling with a guy named Eddie James. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they call me one day and like, Hey, would you like to travel? And I'm like, let me, let me sit with it. But I felt God saying like, you need to take this opportunity. Cause I made a deal with my mother. I'm like, listen, I'm not going to college, but the first opportunity I get a chance to pursue music full time, I'm out, I'm gone. I'm out the door. Like I'm, I'm taking it. And she's like, okay, that's a deal. Why are you in this house? You're going to have to get a job. But if you want to pursue music, great. So we wrestled back and forth about it. I sat with it. And then I'm like, my, I really feel like God is telling me to like, take this chance. She's like, okay. I put in my resignation that Friday. I work that Saturday. I don't work that Sunday, even though I'm supposed to. And then I leave that Monday, meet them in West Virginia. And um, the goal was to be with Eddie for two months. I just wanted to learn what it was like mm-hmm. to be an artist, to be in full-time ministry. And then I was going to go do my own thing. How old were you? I was 20, 20. I had just turned 20. So I left and joined EJM the day after my 20th birthday. So I'm like, okay, cool. Two months and then I'm out of here. And then you, that old thing is like, you want to make God laugh, tell him what you got planned. Like that two months turned into a four year journey. Like I'm traveling with Eddie full time, four years. Um, my first six months, we end up doing a two and a half month European tour and we're just in the thick of it, man. And, then we do uh, Philippines, Israel, wow. Tel Aviv. I get baptized in the Jordan. Like we're just all over the map. And then 
we started doing these things called Warrior Fest, which is how I met uh, Mark. I mm-hmm. met Papa Mark, and and even Damon came to one of the Warrior oh, Fest. Yeah? And this is when uh, Mark's with Perry Stone at the Warrior Fest. So I'm traveling and I'm doing the full time industry thing. I'm serving under Eddie. I'm like, whatever you need, like, however. Mm-hmm. And we're traveling all over the country and into different countries. And we're just leading worship every night. I was in so many services. It was a, a lot. I was in church literally every day. Wow. Like, and sometimes three times on Sundays. We would do about 320 dates a year. Just, there's only 365 days in a year. We, we were doing 320 <laughs> dates a year, just in the thick of it. And man, I remember at the end of it, I had this thought, I'm like, okay, once this is over with, I'm launching in the full-time ministry. <laughs> and then 2018 came around and I moved back home and there was no like full-time ministry for me. I was just like, okay, what do I do now? And I wrestled with God, 2018, 2019. I'm like, God, you would take me around the world <laughs> literally for four years just for me to come back and sit still in Hopkinsville and do nothing. I was depressed. I was like, God, what are we doing? What are we doing? I made friends, so me and Dante and Aaron were friends, so mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm going to move. I moved to Columbus, Georgia, where Dante was based. Um, he was a worship pastor out there. And Aaron, we all move into a single wide trailer. Dante's on one side. Aaron's on one side. I'm in the living room on the couch, just literally couch surfing for a year. And then moving to an, from that single wide to an apartment in 2019. But um, that was also the same year that Dante snuck me into um, a Mav writing camp. Mm. And he's like, all right, I'm just, he's like, there's about 40 people, 60 people in and out for the next three days. They won't even know you're not supposed to be there. Just, <laughs> just blend in. I'm like, all right, okay, cool. So I go, I'm attached to his hip the first day. Cause I don't know what I'm doing. So I'm in all his sessions with him, whatever. Second day I branch out and I go do my own like sessions. My first session of the, my second day, um, I'm with a guy named Karen, Carrington Gaines, a girl named Kayla Alvarado, um, and her now husband, uh, Manuel. So we're in there, we're talking. They're like, well, where is everybody at? We just, where are you at in the season? What do you believe in God for? And they're like, they asked me and I'm like, man, I'm just, I'm ready to see the things that God promised me. Like I have prophecies I've been holding on for two, three years and I haven't seen anything. And I'm like, I'm just ready to see those things. And then the next person is like, yeah, same. I've just been in this season where I'm like, God, I'm, I trust you, but it's hard today. And we go around the room and everybody's in the same, same place. And then we decide like, we need to write something that'll give us hope in the waiting season. Cause the waiting definitely gets hard. And that was the day that we wrote promises. Wow. Right. And then the camp ends. They're like, we sing, if we do a thing called song share, so we share the song and people are like, this is different. Okay. I like this. Fast forward, we're tweaking, we're picking lyrics, we're whatever from like that June all the way till January. We recorded What January. year was that? This is 2019. 2019. Yeah, 2019. So 2020 comes around and they're like, we're going to record it in January. I'm like, cool. Um, at this time, I knew I was moving to Covington. So this time I knew I was going to like move because mm-hmm. during that time of 2019, I'm driving back and forth between Columbus, Georgia and Covington, Georgia. Cause I call Papa Mark and I'm like, 
I need to walk with you. Cause I'd watched one of Damon's servants, um, born to be wild mm. and I'm a mess shook. And I'm like, then I, then right after that, like I'm seeing Mark everywhere and I'm like, I need, I'm like, I can, I'm connected with that man. I just find out who he is. So I mm-hmm. reach out to him on Facebook or something. We exchange numbers. I call him. I'm like, something's gotta change. Something's, there has to be something more out here. Like I just listened to this born to be wild West message and I'm a mess. He started, I heard him talk about the compass. And it's like, we're in the season where we don't follow maps. We follow compass mm-hmm. and I'm shook. And I'm like, where are you at? How do I connect? Like, let's talk. And he's like, yeah, man, let's just keep the conversation. Let's talk. Mm-hmm. I drive down. 2018, we sit in the square in Covington, and he's like, it's dangerous to talk to me. Before I know it, I'm literally on my face in his office, like, because he's just pouring in revelation about God and truths that I'm like, that fly in the face of everything I believed, just shattering my whole world. I'm like, thank you, God. And I'm, I was wrong. So then 2019, I'm texting him, asking questions. Sometimes he would answer, sometimes he wouldn't. You know what I mean? It was just this back and forth. By the end of 2019, God was like, you need to call Mark and tell him you're moving. And I was like, Okay, so 2020 comes around. I know I'm moving to Covington. We record promises in January. I moved to Covington in February. I'm on an air mattress. It's cold outside. I have a space here to keep me warm. I have these two little blankets that I have to like put in layers to try to keep my body warm because they only cover half my body. I have a trash bag full of sneakers, a suitcase full of clothes, and that's it. Like my phone. That's it. Like I'm at the bottom. You know what I mean? And um, before I know it, Promises comes out in April. And after, by the end of April, May, it four or five million views. And I'm like, what is happening? Mm. For the end of the year, it has like 20 million views. And I'm like, wow, what <laughs> is happening? Literally like... Next thing you know, opportunity after opportunity, income after income. I didn't know I was going to pay my rent at the top of the year. By the bottom of the year, like everything's different. I have to do taxes because I'm like, I have no (laughs) idea how any of this stuff is happening. The interesting thing is that the night before Promises released on Instagram, because it came out on Instagram, then it came out on Tribal, and then it came out on YouTube. The night before it came out on Instagram, um, my mom called me. She was like, why don't you just move back home, baby? Mm. Just come do your music back here. And I'm like, Ma, I, I can't. Like, there's nothing there. There's no opportunity for music in Kentucky. Nobody there wants to do music. My hometown is very small, and they don't have any big dreams. Um, at least back then they didn't. And I'm like, that. We, you got one car, and you got to go to work. How am I supposed to get anywhere near where the music is? Because I'm like, the closest city that has music is Nashville, and that's an hour away. Mm. And I don't even know anybody. I don't even know where to begin out there. I'm like... But even after that, I don't feel like God would lead me to Covington in February just for me to move in April back home. That don't make sense. I'm like, I'm going to stick it out. And I remember that night, I'm like, God, okay, let me back up. I'm getting ahead of myself. So that Sunday, Mark preached a message and told this very uh, specific uh, detail. He said, peach trees have the ability to produce fruit in the first year that they're planted. But the vine dresser will pinch the buds for the first year to two years because while it can produce fruit, it isn't strong enough to carry or bear the weight of the fruit that it's called to carry. Mm. So in the wrong season, and if you allow the fruit to grow prematurely, the, what you're called to carry will kill you. 
it would actually like tear you apart. So me thinking that I'm like, okay, God, you liken us to trees all the time. Mm-hmm. Cool. So this is what I need. I don't need you to give me an entire tree right now. You can pinch every bud that you want to. I just need you to let one piece of fruit grow so that I can show my mother, my siblings, my friends that the path that you have me on works. You give me one piece of fruit, you can pinch the, all the rest of the buds until you're ready and you think I'm strong enough to bear the weight. I go to bed that night, the next morning promises comes out on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Within a week, it has 150,000 views. A week after that, it drops on Tribal. And then a week after that, it drops on um, YouTube. Two weeks goes by, a million views. Month goes by, four million. End of the year, 20 million. And I'm just like, God, if this was one piece of fruit, I'm scared to see what you do with an entire tree. Wow. Terrified. Yeah. It's just one thing after another. And then now I'm looking back over the last three years, four years, and I'm like, it's interesting that everything that, like, every opportunity I've had or everything that's come from that moment, I'm like, I didn't invite myself into this and I didn't put myself in these places. You orchestrated it. You put me in the right places at the right times. Yeah. So I'm like, there's none of this is any credit to me. I didn't do this. Mm-hmm. I couldn't have worked hard enough to get these opportunities. I couldn't yeah. have grinded. I couldn't have sacrificed. And I'm like, God, you literally are orchestrating it. I just literally showed up to where you wanted me to be at. It's the craziest thing. So I'm just very like hands off. I'm like, I'm going to let you drive yeah. because you know what you're doing. Now, one thing you mentioned that I think it's important for, uh, I think other artists to understand the value of having a spiritual father. Absolutely. Right. And I would love you to touch on that because, you know, a lot, like you mentioned that, how that message spoke to you and how you got connected and it, especially in the experience you're having now, you know, your, your songs are blowing up, you're getting well known and there's so much opportunity. And we, we were talking earlier about, saying yes and no and things like that. Yeah. But what in your, for you, what's the difference of having a spiritual father that can help you navigate this? Because especially someone like Mark that has experience, yes. success and, yes. and big ministry and all that kind of stuff, and yes. then be able to help you navigate. I would love to hear a little bit on that on, from your, your point, your side. Yeah, absolutely. So here's the thing. I, moved to Covington because I asked God, I'm like, God, there's things that I see coming. And I'm like, to think I could do it on my own is actually like ridiculous to think. Um, But I'm like, God, one day I want to be a husband and one day I want to be a father. And in order to do that, I need to submit under someone that does it well. Not just tell me, mm-hmm. let me look at your life and see it for myself. Let me come around and hang around you and the wife and the kids and see how you guys function. Because what I learned from just looking around the industry before I'd ever stepped into it, I learned that a lot of the people that I like looked up to, like as far as heroes and music, they were married and, and divorced very quickly. Mm-hmm. They didn't really have relationships with their like families like that. And I'm like, that's interesting. Like, not to be like whatever, but like looking at like someone like Quincy Jones, successful in his career, majorly, oh, yeah. like has wrote, has written and, and composed some hits. Like he's worth five hundred million today from what he's done, but he was married and divorced four times. I was like, nope, mm-hmm. don't want that. Looking at our heroes like Billy Graham, 
literally the pres literally the pastor of presidents and officials and artists and actors, everything. <coughs> but would be gone so long he wouldn't recognize his daughter when he come home. Like it's like successful in their careers, not so much in their relationships. And I was like, God, I don't really want that. So if success is gonna change me to where I can't be present with my family, then I'd rather have my family to be successful. So I think that fathering, mentorship, submitting to authority helps you navigate how to do both. Mm -hmm. That you can be successful in your career without having to sacrifice your family along the way. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So even if it's not like you lost your family like physically, there are some people that's like they're successful in the career to the point that their kids want nothing to do with their what they do. If you think about the Old Testament, a lot of times if you were the son of a carpenter, you you became a carpenter. The son of a blacksmith, you became a blacksmith. Like this was the family business and the family trade. Like it's usually why like I love when apostles started talking about like the kiss, the ring, and the robe, and mm -hmm. how the like ring represents like you can now do business as the father because you would take over the family business. A lot of times it's very rare that the son takes over the business that the father is oh, doing yeah. now. You know what I mean? Even Jesus, he's like, I'm about my father's business. Like that's usually how it's supposed to go. But most of the time in the day and age we live in, if a guy is an artist or a songwriter or whatever, their kids don't want to do nothing because this business took you away from me. Yeah. Most times that they're, they're, they're a pastor, their kids don't want to have nothing to do with the church. They're like the church took my, father away from me he was my pastor at home instead of my father at home you see what i'm saying so i think i'm like god i don't want my children to know me as a man on a stage with a mic i want them to know me as their father i don't want my my wife to know me as a man that's distant and on a stage and always on a i want her to know me as a husband so i said yes to covering because i'm like teach me that mm -hmm. teach me that i don't want to lose my family in the process of success i'd much rather have my family at the end of this all at the end of all of this because music isn't predictable and whenever you do something in music they'll love you today and hate you tomorrow mm. they'll love your music right now yeah you make a mistake that they don't agree with it, especially with cancel culture today mm. cancel him and they'll listen to any music that he's done it's just like but you got has you had encounter to the music last week and now the music is bad like that doesn't make sense to yeah. me anyway but i think that in music it depends on what you think is successful. Exactly. I think I heard someone say, if you want to, you want to know what success is. Success is when your children are adults, they still want to hang with you. Mm -hmm. That's when you're successful. Isn't it crazy how, especially in the celebrity world, mm -hmm. you know, people look up to celebrities and you see, okay, this guy, like you said, divorced four times, mm -hmm. the kids want nothing to do, mm -hmm. but he's rich and famous and people say, I want that. He's successful. <laughs> right? right. They're like, he's so successful. Exactly. Nope. Nope. Exactly. Nope. So he is not. We need the re redefinition of what success is. Absolutely. Right? Now, in it's 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 a good point of view from you because you were experiencing kind of both sides of the con even I would say three sides, because I would say you're experiencing this like a real family, mm -hmm. a, fa a spiritual father, mm -hmm. and, and learning what rich is. Mm -hmm. Right. And then you, you are experiencing success in ministry, in music, in mm -hmm. career, uh, which is, it, which is awesome. And also you having, uh, 
being able to see the other side of the secular world as well mm -hmm. and what that looks like. And I think you were talking about a little bit of the story of Graham. I think that it would be great for you to share that yeah. a little bit. Mm -hmm. But now that you see all this, how, like what does success, like how do you define success at your stage right now with experiencing family, experiencing success with your music mm -hmm. and your career growing and you're seeing the secular How do you see success? Um, I think for me, I don't judge success based off the numbers anymore. I think mm -hmm. in the beginning, I would have judged success off of how major or massive or how far the music goes, at least for me. But I don't think I judge it off of that anymore. I think now I'm, I have this, I learned this thing from like John Bellion and I kind of just adopted it. It's like called Feed the 25. And he's like, and the concept is the basic, like principle of it is, is that a lot of my peers, they want to, they want to reach the masses. Mm -hmm. They want to be, they want to do tours in, in front of 250,000, 25,000 people. You know what I mean? They want to sell out the garden. I think that's great. But the concept of feed the 25 is, do you want to, do you want to entertain 25,000 or do you want to feed and nurture 25 people for a lifetime? Jesus had 12 that he did life with. Reach the masses was everywhere, but he did life with with the 12. And those 12 went on to do more. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? You hear yeah. more stories about the 12 than you do about the masses that he like fed and like broke bread with and did the miracles for. You know what I mean? Like you hear more about the 12. You see what I'm saying? So I think I now judge success off of is the music going to get to who it needs to? I would much rather see the same 25 people for my life and watch them grow. Cause it's like, if I can't reach the 25 people that I'm around on a daily basis, the people that see me off the platform that come to the house and we break bread, I have no business trying to entertain the 25,000 that'll come and see me for two, three hours on a tour. Like, yeah. I, like when it comes to the kingdom, which one is going to weigh more? Yeah. You see what I'm saying? It's like, We're gonna like say, well, I did this for 10 years. I toured and did all of that. That mattered. That didn't matter because your wife needed you at home. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it brings a whole new definition of charity because home, <laughs> that love begins at home. Because if your wife and your children at home need you, why are you trying to like save the world? Like God, Jesus already did that. God already like reconciled the world into himself. You don't have to go and save the world. He already did that. You don't only really have to save your family, but you do have to, like, you give yourself to your family. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? So I think that's what I would say is successful to me. I think in music, though, like, music getting to where it needs to. You know what I mean? Like, music has, it's a it's a universal language. Like, there are people that don't speak a lick of English, but can give you every Beyonce lyric, every, <laughs> like, yeah, Michael Jackson oh, yeah. lyric. They can give you the whole, like, dance routine. You know what I mean? But... I think that it's it's an impactful tool and it can it can you can sing things that you can't really say. I was mm -hmm. talking to I was talking to my girlfriend about this um today. It's interesting that like if you say certain things like apostle and, and Mark will say things like be careful not to rip the wineskin. Mm -hmm. If you preach a message, you can be in danger of tearing the wineskin. But somehow if you sing that same message, <laughs> it translates completely different yeah. i think the melodies and the music god somehow made that um what titrivet calls the anesthesia mm. 
like the music kind of like softens the blow of that truth coming into your world. You know what I mean? So I think that there are truths that can be woven into like song form yeah. and it'll be delivered a lot better. So I think that if you can get a message or a truth or a revelation about the Lord in the song and get it to his people, that's successful. Yeah. And go much further. I think it could go much further. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's not about the numbers it's not about how massive the tours are it's not about all any of that stuff like and when i was working with mav i, I told one of the owners i'm like what made mav successful is that not because mav had big stages it wasn't the lights it wasn't the the things it was the fact that in a time when no one could gather we were able to turn people's living rooms into their sanctuaries oh yeah they could cut on their tvs go to youtube and God would show up and I'm like, God used pandemic to remind us that like, yeah, you don't need the four walls of a church. Like the church is not a building, it's a people. And we can be connected even if we're in our living rooms. Like I actually want to, I would rather be at your houses than for you to just try to come to this, this concrete and like plywood and this, like this, sheet wall like i'd rather you come than to come to this box over here that's miles away from your house i would much rather live in your like your closet in your bedroom i would much rather live in your living room in your kitchen like at your dinner table i yeah. would much rather like infiltrate the walls of your household and your address <laughs> and i'm like that pandemic was a reminder that god will meet us there you know what i mean instead of you having to like well i can only get to god if i go there yeah oh yeah because that reinforce that that kind of perspective re um enforces the lie that there's separation between me and God mm -hmm. that I can, that the only time I can connect to him is when I go to that, to his address and go to his house instead of like, no, he lives here. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah, that season, man, the music you, you guys uh, recorded during that season, uh, during COVID, not just Maverick, but the music you guys did with elevation, mm -hmm. man, that was so special. man. I so special. It. I, I I don't know how, like you, you'd be playing 24 hours in my house. Oh, uh, so it's, it's one, one thing that I really love about worship music or, or just not worship music at all, but overall is the difference between just being a musician or a singer mm -hmm. and being a worshiper. Yeah. Because the, the feedback you get is different. Mm -hmm. One is like, man, you play so cool or you mm -hmm. sing amazing. And mm -hmm. the other one's like, man, that song did something mm -hmm. that changed oh, yeah. my, yeah, my life. I'm sorry. And that's what I think is successful. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You see what I'm saying? Yep. It's like, no, this song changed my life. That's like, I'm like, that's the goal. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not trying to like entertain you and distract you from, I'm trying to create something that God can now use to meet with you. And then you're, changed forever see like i think stephanie gretzinger talks about this and she says that like we build our altars where we believe there's water right concept being like the first time altars ever mentioned is when noah steps off the ark hmm. after the flood and says god i'm going to remember where you brought me from and i'm going to worship then later on transcends into like a place for the remission and the cleansing of sin you make the you burn this you burn the sacrifice and it's, it's a cleansing, right? It's, but the original concept of an altar is a meeting place with the Lord. The veil tears, symbolizing no more separation. Now God can meet us anywhere, right? 
altars can now be your living room couch. It can now be the piano you sit at in your house. It could be your shower head when you're, it can be your steering wheel, or it can now be in the form of a song. So now Stephanie says we build songs and those are our altars that we get to use to meet with the Lord. Cause you can take a song anywhere. You can yeah. sing anywhere and it can be an altar that you use to meet with the Lord. Sometimes she said, sometimes God chooses to breathe on that altar and turn it into a table for the world to come and meet with him, commune, dine, all the things. And I think that um, it's so important. Like that's successful. If I can create a altar in the form of a song for God to use, to meet with you, that's successful to me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. I think, um, I don't want to say this. Yeah. I'll just, I'll just say that. Like, I think like it's really, really important. Like, yeah. I think that that's, what I'm always trying to do. Oh, that's what I was trying to say. She also said that <laughs> Jesus told her, I'm much better at being found and discovered than you are at introducing me. Mm-hmm. So I'm no longer trying to write songs to introduce the Lord. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to create songs and create music where he can be found and discovered. Mm-hmm. So I I read this book one time. It's by this lady called Anna Roundtree. And she she shares a lot of experiences that she has having visitations in heaven, things like that. But there's one thing in that book that really changed my perspective with worship because she says that every time you are in that environment, you can always hear music and you can, you can see frequency Mm -hmm. of worship Mm -hmm. and that frequency, it's going towards a specific place, which is Mm -hmm. the throne. Yes. And anytime you want to visit the throne, all you need to do is to hop on that frequency. Mm. So it's it's in, in the way it shifted for me is like all you're trying to do is we're trying to go th- to the throne mm-hmm. as worshipers. Mm-hmm. And can our frequency become that uh, trolley, let's say, that people can hop on? Yes. And go to the throne. It's not about us. It's right. not about our music. Right. But it's about a frequency that's connecting with the yes. throne. And can we help people join that frequency so they can get there? Absolutely. You know. So anytime you want to go to the throne to worship Him face to face, yes. Can your frequency help yes. do that? Yes. And I think I would say that's success. That's and, success. You know what I mean? That's success. <laughs> Amanda Cook said this. She said that sometimes we write songs, and sometimes we're we inherit songs that were given to us from someone on the other side of eternity that's been looking at him in the face a lot longer than we have. Wow. So sometimes we inherit a frequency. Yeah. From someone that's been looking at him in the face a lot longer. They've had a millennia to look at him. And then they and like they give us songs to sing that will carry us, like you said, on the frequency to the throne yeah. to see his face. Wow. Yeah, man. It's good. It's good to me. It's good to me. Now, one, uh, a couple more things that I would love to talk about. One cool. is just, I, I, I've, I've uh, heard you saying this in, in, in other places about that you also, you know, you love doing worship music. Yes. But you also love music in general, you yeah. know, and with all the influence you had with all the different music in your house. Yeah. How do you see this? Because I think we, you know, church tends to, separate things mm-hmm. this is holy this is not holy this mm-hmm. is secular this is worship right and i'm getting to the understanding that first of all 
we are doing life. Mm -hmm. What God wants us is doing life mm -hmm. with him. Yes. And life with him is in the world. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? And when, even when I think about my heroes in the Bible, one big hero that I have is Joseph. Yep. Joseph, for me, his story is just talks to me. And if when I think about Joseph, you know, he all he knew about God, he learned at home with his dad. Yep. And his experience with his family wasn't great, mm -hmm. right? And then he gets sold as a slave to this different to this country that he doesn't know the language. Yep. Nobody believes in God. Right. Is by himself yep. in prison, and then you know he ends up being the governor. But everything he did is secular, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And he it's his personal experience with God. Then he's in the secular world, and everything everything we talk about his life is secular. Yeah. And somehow we created a separation where yeah. you know we have the church, the life in church, and then we have right. secular. And right. for music, for musicians, even, even even harder because, oh, we cannot sing this or that or right. this style, or this style. There's all this right. mess. How do you, let's say, with the understanding we're we're learning about doing life with the Lord and everything's holy? Mm -hmm. Where's your music going? Like, can you, you know? Not just be, I'm a worshiper or I just do worship music. I mm -hmm. do music. How mm -hmm. how would you say? We, would you record stuff that it's mm -hmm. we consider not mm -hmm. worship or you know just like in 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 that that vein? Yeah. Um. I would say this. I think first I would my understanding of it all is all music was created by God. Every style, every genre created by God for God. Yeah. Like sure. Because we're men, we're not perfect. We're gonna there are people that are gonna step out of boxes yeah. or do and say things that are not becoming or aren't, aren't really like pleasing to like the heart of the father. Like we we have like we'll figure it out. You know what I mean? But I think to to throw away an entire genre or an entire space of music is actually very dangerous. Um because there are certain spaces that certain like frequencies can go to that other frequencies can't. Yeah. Um, because every frequency has its purpose. Mark told me a story about how there was these two men that had a sound that they tried to bring to the church. And the church at that time refused it. They said, No, we we don't want that. That's not our way. And then he said those two men went on to birth Woodstock. Mm. So which was basically the beginning and the uh, sexual revolution he said but the sound of that music was brought to the church first and mm -hmm. the church refused it and said no and then in their rejection that sound went on it was then passed down and was given and created and birthed the sexual revolution and he said he could actually take you point for point where it's actually a perverted version of the outpouring of the holy spirit wow he said if the church would have accepted it it would have been it wouldn't have been woodstock the sexual revolution, it would have been the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in music because of the frequency that was given. They were supposed to inherit something and they refused the inheritance. Um, but I think God has a way of infusing his spirit in the frequencies. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, I think some of the greatest worship leaders in the world are actually in mainstream music. Mm -hmm. I personally, like, I'm like, if you think about it, there are some people that I'm like, 
you were born to worship. Oh, yeah. You carry the frequency of heaven. You just don't oh, know yeah. it yet. You know yeah. what I mean? Or you just aren't even aware of it. Like you can't tell me that Phil Collins didn't carry the frequency of heaven. Yeah. For him to write something like, you'll be in my heart. You'll be in my heart. Stay on now and forevermore. Like you can't tell me yeah. that that's not, <clears throat> that God isn't breathing on something like that. Like there are certain songs and certain frequencies. I'm like, you inherited this yeah. frequency. It's just who you are. It's in, in your makeup and in your DNA. Um, so with that being said, I'm like, I try my best to live and create out of a space of and all music that comes from me. God is in it. Whether if it's mainstream or if it's worship or whatever, because me and my girlfriend talk about this and we, she actually corrected me one time because I was like, I'm just going to live life. And whenever God wants to interrupt me, he'll tap me on the shoulder and invite me and I'll leave everything I have right then on the spot and I'll, and I'll, wherever he wants to go. And she was like, you know what, Joe, that sounds great. But if you live an integrated life, you'll never have to live an interruptible one. Mm. That's good. Right. <laughs> right. If you live an integrated life, you'll never have to live an interruptible one. Like you're only having to live interrupted because you're not integrated. If you integrate God into everything you're doing, whether that's creating like worship or mainstream music, if he's integrated in all of it, you'll be surprised what comes out. You'll be surprised what God does with the frequency. So I think it's in creating and for me, at least. When I'm creating, I'm going to allow God to infiltrate all of it. Yeah. He's going to be integrated into all of it. So if I'm writing something that is like promises or miracles or alter any of that stuff, he'll be integrated into that. If I'm writing something with 808s and trap drums, mm -hmm. he'll be integrated into that because all of it, it's for his good pleasure. And it's yeah. for him to carry whatever he, whatever the message is, whatever the frequency he wants to get, because it goes to a certain group of people. Like it's, he can be all things to all men at all times. So I'm not going to like limit him and say, God, you can only move in the parameters of this worship. Exactly. No, God, you can move in these 808s in this trap drum. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's for me. I'm like, I'm open-handed about all of it. Cause I can't say, I, who am I to tell you that you can't do something with this? Exactly. That doesn't really make any sense. Yeah. Like, so that's, that's my thoughts on it, man. That's awesome, man. I think this is a, great place for us to kind of start wrapping up cool um i'm 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 so grateful you you took the time i think uh you have a very unique way to worship that's very inspiring uh Appreciate the it. lyrics the music you write it's uh incredible um it's an honor man and um one thing that you also that i think you have that's very uh powerful is your sound is unique you know you you're one of those guys that you hear and you know who who's singing you know i think you have that uh and and i love that um uh, in you and but we just would love to know what are you up to you know what's coming up for you this uh 2024 and what's your plans dreams anything you 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 can share or you want to share yeah, with man, with us i'm i'm just trying to Love on a fam, you know, be present, be intentional. I mean, yeah, there's an album coming. I'm working on an album. It's literally, we're in the mixing stages now. Yeah. yeah so uh, when we get off here, I'll show you some stuff. Okay. But we're wrapping this stuff up. Um, I mean, I signed with a label. I never thought I would, but we did. Um, just navigating like the music side and 
you know, Papa's been helping me like work through like, okay, this is like, okay, this is where we have to figure out what text, like precedent, what text priority. Um, I'll say this and I'll shut up. Um, Rita Springer looked at me and said, Joe, do you want a royalty check or do you want to raise the dead? <laughs> and I was like, Ooh, <laughs> can we do both? And she was like, <laughs> yes, you can do both, but one has to be the priority. She's like, I was like, well, Okay, then let's raise the dead. And if a royalty check comes with that, great. So I think now my focus in creating and like I want to write songs that raise the dead. I want to create things that raise the dead, whether that's spiritually or literally. Yep. Like I want to do that. And if royalty checks come from that, great. So I think I'm just in a space where I'm open handed. God can do what He want. He can tell me where to go, and I'm there. Um, tell me what to write, and I'll write it. Tell me what to sing, and I'll sing it. And there's some stuff coming, um, but. We'll just see what happens. I have no idea. I'm just letting God have his way in 2024. Amen. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Do you have a, a date from when the album's coming out? I do not have a date yet. I don't have a date yet. But soon. Soon. I have a date. Okay. That's that's uh, exciting. Um, any final thoughts for, for people that are listening? And how can people connect with you if, if they want to connect with you? Final thought. If you're called to full-time ministry, you need a spiritual father. I'm telling you to change your life. Someone to tell you no will change your life. <laughs> but not just to tell you no, but just to give you like counsel and wisdom and insight. You know what I mean? Spiritual fathering isn't to try to control your life. It's yeah. to just, you know, give you an extra set of eyes and ears and, you know what I mean? An extra like place to lean so that like you're not out here by yourself. So if you, if you, if you're called to full-time ministry, whether that's ministry in the four in the in the big C church or ministry in the mainstream market, I think like submit to authority. It'll change your life. Um other than that, man, love God, love your family, and you know, live life to the fullest, I guess. And those are my final thoughts about all of this. I'm really grateful that you have me here. Like this has been a really special day for me, man. Yeah. From uh, breakfast until now, all of it has been great. <laughs> any, uh, and if people want to connect with you, what's the best, best way to do it? I'm on Instagram. I okay. am Joe underscore L. That's all my platforms, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook is Joel Barnes, YouTube, Joel Barnes. I mean, if you want to listen to the music, Spotify, Apple music, Joel Barnes, you can just find all the stuff there, man. But you know, that's, that's it. Awesome, man. I love it. Big time. Appreciate it. Thank you. And excited for tonight. Oh, man, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm gassed now. Let's do it. Thanks so much. Love Thank you, man. Love you.